0: Welcome to Regeneration Studio, I'm Katarina, and this is another narrative journey exploring risk-taking, creativity and innovation in business and art, where we ask one question, how can we overcome our fears, live outside the box and transform ourselves and our community? I've got some mega news before we start, it's the studio's birthday this week, I have crossed the one-year mark and whereas I've had so many awesome local and international guests I have absolutely no idea what you think. And by you, I mean like you listening to this right now. Yes, I'm being very honest with you. I want to know what you like about these episodes and what you think I can improve on. Any random shit you'd like to share. Okay, maybe not too random. Podcast related random shit. So please send me a quick message with your thoughts. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a few other people, listen to a few other episodes, And if you dig the vibe, please subscribe. Now, onto our birthday edition journey with someone who has been a silent, motivational figure in my life ever since I arrived in the Northeast. Here is my conversation with music promoter Simon Shaw as it happened over a cold cup of tea. Normally, we do not cry when someone says, hello, how are you? Normally, we do not feel mesmerized, transfixed or moved when someone says, I'm going for a walk. Everyday speech is first and foremost a form of communication. It does not make us feel that deep stirring or draw out forgotten memories the way music does. Music has an inexplicable power. And despite everything the music career cynics want to tell you, there are possibilities of making a living, but more importantly, making a difference out of that power. Joining me today is Simon Shaw. Simon grew up in the benefit system at 17, he bought a bass after receiving college benefits for perfect attendance. How has his upbringing and the pain that it brought him lead to him buying an instrument that would provide opportunities for the rest of his life? But for Simon, it doesn't stop with playing in bands and having an active role in live music promotion or becoming the music editor for the Ts. It goes beyond that to using what he learned about healing through music and sharing it with others to encourage and raise up the next generation of artists in his area. Welcome to the show Simon.
1: Oh, Thank you, it was a really nice introduction.
0: <laughs> thank you. So to give us our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called The Bass Player. Sure, Simon, you can choose the title. Can you briefly <laughs> introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer?
1: I've always liked the idea of Shaw, I almost sounded like Shaw. I've, I've literally uh, thought of a film trailer but I can't do I don't have a deep voice I can't do the Americanized kind of traditional kind of thing so I'll just set the scene Mm -hmm. you'll all have to like picture it in your own heads and so it starts off with the scene with a dark theater hall there's a very low light on stage it's smoky in the venue and it's just like the thud of a drummer's kick drum just beating and then like the camera cuts and it cuts to musicians outside they're laughing they're smoking and they're drinking Mm -hmm. they're having a laugh it then cuts back and it's me inside the hall. But I'm running across with like a big pile of like towels, loads of towels. I'm yeah. running to the green room. I run into the green room and I'm frantically unpacking this rider into this room while all this is happening. And then it just basically just cuts to some like high impact stuff, you know, in trailers where it goes, yeah. builds up. You've got the crowds enjoying gigs, you've got beer getting swilled, you know, there's stuff flying everywhere. It's just a mess. And then it just cuts back to me and it's in the dark hall and I'm on the stage and I'm scraping like chewing gum off it. And I just turn around and I go, hey, you're new here, right? Wanna put on a gig?
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) I actually wanna make that trailer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Scene one, the bass player. Okay, so you grew up in Teesside in the northeast, and given your background as a musician, live music promoter and music editor, and also volunteer for BCT Aspire, a charity aiming to raise the aspirations of young people, you've dedicated your life to giving back to the community. Many people outside of the UK, and I've had a lot of experience of this, have no idea where Teesside is or the vibe of the North East in relation to the rest of England in fact there are still people who are convinced I live in London. So what defined growing up in Teesside? Can you elaborate on the good, the bad and why you are still here?
1: Yeah Teesside it's always like quite an enigma because it's not a location Mm. really. Barely something you can put on your postcode when you fill in council forms so it's barely a location we have. If I thought of it as North Yorkshire I'm still questioning whether or not we are or not there's weird lines and boundaries yeah. with everything but um yeah so I grew I grew up in council housing which is now called social housing and I guess I, I still live in social housing uh, in that sense but yeah I've always thought of side's really friendly North East really friendly I'm very proud of where I'm from but I also like the fact that other people are proud where they're from you know mm-hmm. so I've never we have growing up there was football and we had hard boundaries between like borough newcastle sunderland derby games and whatnot and it was almost like that spirit of competition with each other but we were all like slumming it out towards the bottom of the table so it was kind of mm-hmm. like a weird thing of like sort of concentrating on each other while like obviously the rest of the league table were obviously like yeah. thriving in a weird way obviously now we're in championship and stuff but um it's like less yeah. of a thing and now we're all kind of wanting each other to do well it's really I weird think. but i kind of feel like mm-hmm. culturally it's been very similar Throughout the years, so we're starting mm-hmm. off and you think, Oh, we've got to build up borough, which is where I'm originally from and where I am now, and um, to a level where it's better than mm-hmm. other areas and now I feel like it's like everyone now is kind of understanding these links and kinda of go, No, we build each other up and mm-hmm. you know, we like advocate for each other in that sense. Yeah, um, so
0: there's a collaboration between the different North East regions if you
1: like yeah, so, yeah. definitely yeah. I feel like each region has those little subcultures and mm-hmm. smaller areas like we have with borough and stockton and that yeah. where th- places are starting to thrive and they're thriving because of each other mm-hmm. um, in that sense
0: and you love it so much that
1: I'm still here yes. yeah um, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm still here because uh, I've never been able to afford to go anywhere else the rent's really cheap God, do you know how much this yeah. place costs? <laughs> Not a lot.
0: <laughs> well, I have had a brief stint of just looking at house prices in the south because I've got some family down there. And I was like, uh, no, I think I'd, I'd rather just stay here. And I just love it here as well because, it, it, I mean, it's it's the vibe is really different and you mm. can't always put your finger on it.
1: Well, where I live is connected to two main roads, the 174. Mm-hmm and the A19. I'm right on the corner of those, so it's 15-minute drive for me to get to the beach, going out to Redka masks open. It's it's a 12-minute drive to Gisborough, so I can go to the hills, I can go to the Moors. Mm-hmm. I'm 15 minutes away from Clare Bank, which is a big point in the Cleveland Way. and yeah. um, It connects a lot of the uh, stones and whatnot. I'm 10 minutes away from Borough Centre, I'm 15 away from Stockton Centre, like... It feels really connected, but also I'm still in the suburbs, I'm still yeah. out the way, and you know, from my house I can see a beautiful lake and mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, if you want to talk about the bad in that sense, it's just a lot of crime, but like, yeah. that's it, it's one of those things.
0: No, I think it has been the same for me in the sense that for people who perhaps don't know what all these places are, you've got basically the beach, like a really, really beautiful countryside, the moors, which is a combination of, well hills and and just stretches of nothingness and farmlands and yeah it's just like this whole big combination and then you've got newcastle and york is not that far away so city kind of smaller cities as well yeah okay so of all the roles you have had no most notably your involvement in the teas online an organization that was set up in june 2020 to do exactly kind of this to amplify the good what's what's going on that we should be proud of and take action on the bad in side. You're a musician first and foremost, and I think your trailer really revealed that. Mm. In fact, music has been a game changer in your life. You started playing bass when you were 17, and you've since been involved in a few different bands. Now, describe the first moment playing the bass crossed your mind, and why was this significant? How did this relate to your general upbringing and aspirations for the future?
1: Yes, I was very lucky that I had a good friend throughout school who was um, spending, he spent a fair few years while I was at school learning guitar. He was a really good friend called Glenn. And um, I, I, we used to just kind of dabble like, and mess about with music mm-hmm. in that sense. Never really felt like it was something I did. I couldn't afford guitar lessons or anything throughout, well, I was a kid, so my parents couldn't either. But when I went to college, we had a, a benefit called EMA. Mm-hmm. Um, i don't know what it stands for or anything but i was gonna um, ask you that
0: i'm like trying to figure it out and then i'm like right, education
1: no, maintenance allowance <laughs> okay possibly right. yes. just a guess i don't know if they still have it it was really good though i was always on free dinners and stuff so i got mm-hmm. i got the maximum that you would get in a week i think i think it was 30 pounds a week and mm-hmm. i would put some of that to the side for rent and helping out and then I think it was three months, four months into sort of my first year of college, they gave us a hundred quid for yeah. perfect attendance because I was a good boy, and always there every yeah. single day. We couldn't stay at home. You had, to have, you had to be really ill to stay at home. Like parents would be like, okay, oh, okay. yeah, you might submit yeah. at college, but you have to lay down on the sofa then all day, you're mm-hmm. not allowed to watch telly, just lay there. So it was mm-hmm. like, I'll just go to college, doesn't matter how ill well I am.
0: That was from your, obviously your, your parents' side, they were just like, you're going to school. Never oh yeah.
1: yeah I yeah. would I grew up with four brothers and a sister so quite a big family I'm mm-hmm. second oldest and like I can count on my hand the amount of days that we had off between us at school okay. like okay. you know we, we were really <laughs> yeah I, I think growing up with a family like that and being so with each other and I probably just didn't get ill a lot because we were always around germs hmm. you know you go outside and play all day and you come home and you live in the house with like seven other people you're gonna gonna build up an intolerance aren't you to, to, to um, all
0: kinds yes <laughs>
1: yeah and um, th- that was really good I would say I, I, I started uh, I'd like a negative experience with my dad growing up never really got on there was violence between us and stuff but he always was super into music and mm-hmm. he always sat down and said the one thing I always regretted he never did music and he wish he did okay. so I think out of spite I got my EMA money and I spent that on a bass guitar I went to I don't know if it was Music Endeavor in mm-hmm. Middlesbrough Centre mm-hmm. um, and had this little package deal It might be 130 yeah. quid. You got a Fender Squire, an amp, a guitar lead and a tuner so you could plug in and play.
2: Yeah,
1: And I think I learnt from then and I've always liked bass. I've always had this thing about a practicality in my life. I really mm-hmm. like things that are practical. Mm-hmm. And the bass guitar sounds really good when you press one note down and play it. Yeah. Now, I've, I've played guitar and oh, I don't think those sound good at all when you just play one note, <laughs> no. like, you know.
0: It's like trying that on the violin as well.
1: Yeah, or <laughs> violin, That'd be, it's impressive if you can do anything on those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I used to play the violin, so I know. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, I, Probably the hardest instrument, I think. Um, I'm always really impressed anyone can play those. Yeah, um, I tortured
0: everybody at home with that for a couple of years and then decided to give it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a hard thing about learning, actually. It's really hard to learn an instrument that... I guess you don't know what somebody's playing. Like, yeah. you get asked, hey, play me a bass line, I'll know. And it would be like, Wait, how often do you listen to a bass line? Like, I find it, it's a feeling mm. more than anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, I find the bass fascinating, any bass instrument, really, because it's just, it's got so much character, yet people don't always see it as a, a melodic instrument as such. Mm. Like, it doesn't just stand by itself and... and just for the melody, it normally just contributes to another instrument or like a ensemble or something. Except, of course, if you think of jazz, there, there's a lot more bass lines happening in there.
1: Yeah, I think when I was teaching when I was younger with BCT, I would always yeah. tell the kids that bass is the most powerful instrument. Because mm. if your guitarist is playing like a C chord, yeah. and you play an A underneath, there is, you're then playing an A minor 9 or something. Like, you control their chord. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it, in that sense you can play anything you play a G yeah. underneath a, a C and that's almost jazz and stuff, but uh, it's more on a theory base of stuff, but yeah. you have that power as a bass player okay. so you can listen to somebody's three card wonder and mm-hmm. you can play a lot more than those three cards you know and unrestrict yourself from those and make their like songs more interesting in that sense. so yeah. you do have the same control. And it's easier to do because it's just one note. Again, (laughs) (laughs) you just have the power of one note. Yeah.
0: And they can't do the inverse, of course. So one last question on the the bass. Is it harder, easier than other, like, than the guitar, for example? Or is it just the same level, different kind of skill, different kind of way of interacting
1: with Um, the instrument? With music, I think you learn music. Mm So you get to a certain, like, energy when you learn and that things start to click. The instrument clicks with you and that's your tool to make music from. So I think that learning curve and that self-discovery in that sense is really difficult to master and get used to. I think it's like learning yourself, you Mm -hmm. know. Every single year you get to a certain point in your life where you're like, I think I know who I am, I think I know what I'm gonna do, I think I know me. And then the next year you're there going. I think I know who I am, (laughs) you know, you're figuring yourself out at every step and you know yourself best. So it's the same with music. The instrument itself is easier to learn. You can play it for probably two months at home and join a band. Mm -hmm. I love the accessibility of that as an instrument, but it still has the same nuances that every single instrument learns. Repetition, learning your notes, learning... How to interact with other musicians you might mm-hmm. be a bass player it's only learned through tablature yeah. dots and zeros and stuff okay. in which case you know what do you do when somebody says play a g no not that g like you know mm-hmm. where is the next one where's the other ones yeah. um and they might just tell you chords if somebody says they're playing a c9 you know and you want to flavor that you mm-hmm. want to add those notes in and help that music along and understand it so i still think The foundation of music itself, it's still there within the instrument. Yes. But the accessibility of it being so easy just to pick up and go and just, you know. (laughs)
0: I can just hear that note the whole time. I don't know what it is, but yeah. So how did you go from being a bass player, having this passion for playing in bands and basically exploiting the instrument to live music promotion and managing events?
1: My my the original thing was I was out going to an open mic night mm-hmm. with a friend and I was we we did it as a duo when we weren't playing gigs on the weekend the band was called Frozen Rope and the gentleman was called Pete and we we stopped off at a small cafe bar on the way down just because it looked empty the lights were on and we thought mm-hmm. we'll just get a drink on the way we're early we'll mm-hmm. have a drink there instead of going to the open mic and sitting around mm-hmm. and it was only there we were speaking to the owner and the owner was like or use play because we had our instruments on us and he was just like, play something now for me. So he, he, the singer at the time, he, he, he sat and he played a song and the person was like, where are you off? We we're like, we're going to the open mic down the road and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, do you know what? On a Friday, we've got nothing on here and it's not that busy. Mm-hmm. Do you all want to do an open mic here? And um, we said yes to it. And he said like, he wouldn't pay us to do it, but what he would do is he would just put what's called punch make some punch up and he said we can just drink punch all night and -hmm. that was quite that was really fun to do we played a a last hour our last gig as that band in that venue but from then I started helping out on sound Mm -hmm. from practicing with bands for years I was used to figuring out the PA system and how to sort of get the best out of it at the time I don't think I'm not a sound engineer I still aren't Um, I was gonna
0: ask you about like do you did you build up your knowledge of that aspect the sound engineering aspect or you more just on getting everybody to do what they need to be doing
1: it it became a way to get things to work and get things going looking back I don't know what quality it had I I, I would never discredit every other sound engineer's job Mm -hmm. in the area by saying oh yeah I was okay I, Mm -hmm. I if they were doing it it would be loads better but we had something that was like passable and most audiences probably wouldn't know that like a certain frequency was too much Okay. etc yeah unless you actually play music or listen to music you you don't realize that you listen to music totally different to how everybody else who doesn't mm-hmm. listen to music if you get me like so sort of yeah. when i was growing up before i listened to an instrument i listened to music as just one big waveform mm-hmm. where now i listen to in compartments i listen to the drums and the vocals yeah. and the melodies and the instruments and, and that, that's a music thing I, i've essentially mm-hmm. ruined music for myself in that <laughs> sense but also it probably means why It probably returns to the fact that why certain people have like musician type bands, what I would Mm -hmm. call, like sort of really intelligent things that are going on, and they'll be like, ooh, (laughs) liking it for that reason. And I do that with music. We do this with art, don't we? Yeah,
0: that's That's right. (laughs) Like, it's where the analysis part comes Mm -hmm. in, doesn't it? Scene two, The Tease. You were part of the original four people who started The Tease online. This initiative transformed your passion for Teesside into an online platform that celebrates the region, connects people to projects and needs, and highlights areas of concern. This came at a time of national and global disaster, with COVID-19 hitting many areas of Teesside particularly hard. Now, firstly, give us an overview of what is The Tees, how did it come about, and what is your aim?
1: Right, so the the tease was originally brainstormed by Jesse Joe Jacobs and Adam Mendham. They brainstormed together ways to essentially help the community in what was quite difficult circumstances. A lot of things were falling apart.
2: Yeah. A lot
1: of funding pots are just everywhere at the moment and they still are. You know, people are still trying to figure out things. So I just wanted something that was quite open and honest and it was just... A platform that would like amplify uh, good things in the area yeah. and jesse and adam got in touch with myself and a woman called jilly hatton who's a book publisher in the area mm-hmm. and we brainstormed a kind of from their foundation a a platform that would be a website for the general sort of articles that people were doing and people could write and have like their own platform somewhere in a space and like a world to engage with but also we wanted to acknowledge that social media itself was a very powerful tool when you talk about community mm-hmm. um in a sense and we wanted to figure out those relationships and that whole aspect of taking action on the bad came from acknowledging that you can't just put out a bad story about something and just be that kind of press and press need to do that and understand the need to do it. But it feels old had to put out an article which somebody would look at and go and then splurge out a load of nasty comments underneath or things and nobody's educating anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's almost relaying that back and being like, well, look, this is, you know, a problem. These are some people's experiences. This is some people's like charities and stuff. He's what they need. He's what, you know, he's what you can do to further things. He's how you can help. And I thought that was really important. Me being a person of culture, a person of music and stuff, background-wise, I the culture sector has always been really good mm-hmm. at being at the forefront of these kind of discussions. So it felt really natural for, for me to sort of be like, yeah, this is great. Like, this is something that we do need to do because I do feel personally sometimes that just not doing enough. Like, I feel like...
0: From a cultural perspective or from your just your
1: own personal uh, just through work itself you know you, you put on gigs and you put on festivals for many years and that and then you look at what you're putting on who you're putting on mm-hmm. and you try and statistics to sort of balance out if you're on the good or you're on the bad and I mm-hmm. don't think I've always been on the good and mm-hmm. um, I think I've been in the bad side of statistics as a promoter just for years I don't think it's um, nothing is much current now But I think I had a learning development of just sitting back and going, do I have a problem with booking certain types of artists? Mm -hmm. Like this could be like disability. This could be gender Mm -hmm. particularly as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just having a look at it and doing like, what can I do that's better? Like having this platform that I can literally break down those walls and just share things because I don't have to worry about anything else. All I have to do is just be like, this is good. I really like this. This person's doing good. Let's have this discussion where even on my own socials, I felt like if I was sharing somebody's music, Mm -hmm. people would be expecting this person to be playing in two weeks' time at my venue or something. It was in my own head, but I did want to break down that barrier of just like, no, I can just share things now onto this site that I think is good. These people can interact with it, and anyone can contact it. It isn't a me thing. Yes. Somebody wants to post their music on there and they want to talk about their music and why it's important. They get the same platform that everybody else gets. And I thought that was really important because it was just trying to balance out a culture that isn't balanced at the moment.
0: Okay. So just on that, is it more focused on individual voices than, say, one part or a couple of people listening and then rewriting those voices in their own style so when you say people can contribute or write themselves does that mean exactly that yeah so they can get in touch and say well i've got the story i want to
1: yeah we'll yeah. the the platform set up so that yeah i'm an editor of music mm-hmm. i will work with you to get that out and you know my skills pertain to mostly social media i'm not mm-hmm. much of a writer. <laughs> We work with people in order to get those those stories out and those platforms, like less of a PR thing. PR companies can contact yeah. us and stuff, but okay. I turn less of an eye to that. I'm just, if you know me or you don't know me, literally just get in touch because that's better for me to build up.
0: And then, of course, there's also the project side, which is something that I just noticed when I when I was doing some research for this. And I think that's also really important, being able to connect like current projects or needs with people who could potentially contribute or help
1: out yeah yeah we did a big campaign around buying local mm-hmm. at christmas time and trying to database yeah. everyone that was yeah. selling in order to connect our right. independence you know it's only a matter of time and i don't know if i'm like also that you know i'm a big user of major streaming platforms and major mm-hmm. shopping sites online that everybody yeah. knows uncle jeff don't they um <laughs> in that sense i, I do worry that we're feeding a system that is really good. It really works. Mm-hmm. And it's accessible and it's it really works for us. Yeah. But how sustainable is that in the future? Do these companies have our backs in that sense? Yeah. And, you know, at what point do they get too powerful? Yeah, <laughs> <You> exactly. <know? laughs>
0: I think that you do need a balance. And that's also partly what I try and do is just simply... That's why I do these interviews with different local entrepreneurs or creatives or people who have their own creative ideas and want to put that forth. Because I think if the support isn't there then you're actually letting your community down in a sense by just uh, feeding into the bigger organisations who aren't invested in your area, they're Mm. they're somewhere else. So it's about thinking about that and where you're putting your money and how that's going to reflect eventually in the future of your community. So more specifically, and well, we've we've, we've touched on this point, you are the TEAS music editor. As part of your role, you interview musicians capturing their stories, struggles, joys, and especially why they do what they do. I, I take this as correct, which is a way to inspire other musicians out there. Let's take it a step back. So pre-COVID days, when live music was very much a real and growing thing in the area, you were a promoter at Q Bar. Yeah. One of Stockton's, well, I think it's Stockton's longest running live music bar, or at least one of them. Yeah, one of them. Oh, okay. So, what
1: was the purpose of Q? Um, yeah, I I did. Uh, we've changed slightly. We are we are Q uh, or Q or KU. Sorry, I never
0: know how to pronounce it.
1: Nobody does. (laughs) Uh, I just thought I'd clarify because somebody might be sat at home going, "I know it is KU bar." (laughs) Um, yeah, it is Q. We've lost the bar. Sorry, it's uh, just Q now, just to make it more of what we are. We're a live music Mm -hmm. venue, three hundred capacity. Uh, we also run Storytellers. It's a pub around the corner. Yep. Really nice sort of two rooms in there. It's got a function room and it's got like a usual bar room, nice pool mm-hmm. table, really nice beers and stuff, you know. Oh, it's I missed that. <laughs> a fine just selection. just like bringing back memories now. <laughs> yeah, I remember those places. Dude. That was successful in getting the Cultural Recovery Fund like mm-hmm. in November. So that'll be there when things go back to the new normal and stuff. And yeah, we'll be putting gigs on back there. But we're also... Q itself is also um, myself, Jimmy Beck and others within there. But me and Jimmy are the co-promoters. He's the venue owner as well. And we, yeah, we, we don't just put gigs on within Q. We also put gigs on uh, sometimes at the Arc in Stockton. Big community place, a big 550 theater venue. It's really cool georgian theater as well we, we don't shy away from anything we've we've put gigs on at the o2 in newcastle you know and we've had quite su- good success in that sense it all just retains to how many you know if you're a band and you're playing a 60 cap venues you know you can't play a 300 cap venue like it's it's going to look really bad for you mm-hmm. and it's the industry is really clever now in which case they, they're going to the smaller venues because they know they can uh, sell those out and whatnot so we do have to think on our feet a bit about how we be you know a part of the wheels in the industry but also we're we're seeing how many different wheels we can get from that wheel you know like we you know some venues mm. do this really nicely with community projects and stuff so we're like a nightclub and a live music venue we've got a very a very unique gig setup as being a club night and mm. so we have club night goers and gig goers merging about 11 o'clock time what can really like sort of kick off at times yeah. and those are really special moments in my life just you know having a band that came from anywhere in the uk you know we'll pick sheffield and they yeah. come on stage and they get to play in front of a hundred odd people just enjoying their music and they won't remember who they are and they won't remember who they are you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing but there's something magical about that moment of just being like nobody was sat at home getting promoted to nobody was sat at home going like i'm going to go and see a band tonight like Mm -hmm. those audience that come from the club night just got a band and they enjoyed it and there's something really cool that they'll just never remember it
0: Yeah, I never actually thought about it like that but now that you mention it 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 did struck me like okay well there's like this nightclub section to it and then there's the the gig section to it and then there is of course there will be emergence that Mm. you didn't expect like people going from the one side to the other side and like that mingling so that's pretty cool how does this relate in general to your mission in life?
1: I, I think throughout promoting I've kind of learned that I really and obviously with the work of BCT and stuff uh, over the years I've just realised that like I generally feel better about myself when I'm helping others and mm-hmm. I feel like I've got a lot of energy and capacity to help others so when I don't I feel really guilty that I'm not um, and I could do any amount of work but I've always especially been at a crossroads in my life now with everything being up in the air in regards mm-hmm. to work it's quite important for me to even tell employers or potential work that like I want to feel like I'm making a difference and I don't want to change the world I just want to be right at the bottom slogging it out and there's something about that that I really like mm-hmm. just like no one will ever like know who I was nobody will ever care I don't care about that. That's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm just there, just creating these things and just being just a part of it for that time. And that's it's really cool. It's really special to me. But um, yeah, it, it retains to everything, even with the community mm-hmm. project.
0: Well, that, I think that's amazing. So it's just basically living out who you are, regardless of, of the consequences of that. Yeah, And it definitely shows in everything that you do. So for the greater part of 2020, and you've touched on this as well, musicians had to turn... Well, we haven't actually touched on this. So, for the greater part of twenty twenty, musicians had to turn to live streaming, Mm. and some local organisations started putting on online gigs. It was a little bit scattered. Well, one example is the Darlington-based music collective Tracks, which they were pretty active on that.
1: They still are. Yeah, yeah. they still are. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's all past tense. I don't know why they're the constant of this
1: lockdown for (laughs) me.
0: (laughs) So, and they've they've been featured in the teas online Mm. as well. So they've gone the extra mile to set up engaging online events, which they still are doing. Yeah. Before everything changed to online music events, how has the local music scene improved? Like one thing that's really stood out for you?
1: Being involved for so many years, I have so many different types of musicians on my social media sites. Um, so I've got people that were there when I originally started and I've got people who are like new now. And sometimes that's by age, sometimes that just by, you know, by process of how long they've been in bands and playing gigs and it's it's always weird that people think back to their heyday of playing gigs when they were younger and see that as the best the scene has ever been mm-hmm. and I always think and I go well oh that's really cool that you think that you know like I don't think I try not to think of scene mm-hmm. the word scene in my head retains like a past tense kind of feeling okay. feels like it's already happened like I don't think like bands like Nirvana and that when they were coming through in Seattle they ever thought like how cool is this music scene right now like you know it was it was something that people look back on and go wow that that music scene at that time was and I I would say generally like sort of within our area and our region it feels more connected than it's ever been especially with promoters and venues particularly as well Mm -hmm. A lot of promoters now all talk with each other, we're all friends. It's not the same in every town and city, mm-hmm. but I would say that, you know, most of us all get along with each other. We all understand that we're all putting on gigs. There's not a lot of people going to gigs. <laughs> so what are we all doing? Maybe we should pull resources, but uh, we all like, understand that that like that's just business. You know, we all enjoy what we do in that sense. And we all know that we're all as crazy as each other. So there's like that mutual respect of being like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Are you also off rails? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. That's uh, true because it can, I can imagine how competitive it can get in, well, depending on, on th- who you, you...
1: It's more of a, f- a feeling when I was younger, sometimes I would mm. uh, get, um, like, almost like cultural envy, if that's a thing. Oh. You'd get envious that somebody would announce a gig and everyone be loving that. Yeah. And then you've announced yours and nobody cares and... <laughs> That, that's no longer a feeling I feel I generally um what I'm putting out and mm-hmm. I am just like I'm enjoying that and I don't I don't take positivity or negativity anyway like mm-hmm. I'm generally just doing I'm quite self-confident in what I'm doing and I, I like what I'm putting out and I know that if there's a core audience who go mm-hmm. to gigs in the area who are going to some other gig I will Then figure out ways that I can uh, promote to other audiences, and I see that as the opportunity is like, well, I could get something new going here. Could you know who else wants to, you know, why do we even engage with new music? Why, like that's always a thing I've always thought of, and I'm always like, how do I go and see a new band? At what point do I do I need to be advertised to? Do I need Mm. advocacy from somebody else? Do I need influences involved? Like like, hark back to like you know I'm very lucky. (laughs) That people pay me to put gigs on, <laughs> and it's I've never made money from the door. You know, like in mm-hmm. that sense, like the company I work for does. So when we don't have successful things, I still have that security blanket of taking my wage
2: mm-hmm. at the end
1: of it, um, and I'm always thankful, and I'm very, very lucky for that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of independent promoters that put their own money into things, and I can't imagine how that feels when because it's already quite a personal experience when gigs don't go well. You do feel like, (laughs) like I said to people, the book stops at you. If the gig isn't successful, you've not got it right. And it's you have to own up to that. And it's almost like you've got disappointed musicians, which breaks my heart. But you've also got nobody there, which breaks my heart. You know, like you've got your staff looking at you going, you know, and you can see in their, their eyes, they're like, this hasn't went well, has it? You know, and I've done stupid things over the years. I've even asked... Busy bar full of bar staff,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: three people in a room. And I've set the bar staff. Do you all want to like stand in the room? Like, you know, you're doing your <laughs> best. <it> <laughs> yeah, you're doing your best. No, but that, that I just of them to enjoy the gig. Like, it's, yeah, it yeah, will look busier, but like, I just want them. Why you're not serving anyone? Yeah. Why not stand in the room? And you know, they're like, no, this is it's really quiet, Simon. Like, no one wants to stand in this 300 cap room <laughs> or next to you on your own while you stand there and you go, like, yeah, woo. You know, and at the end of it, you're like, yeah, I'm really sorry, everyone. That's that's my fault. I got that wrong. But it's nice, like in that same reason. There's a, it's very uncomfortable, but there's a lot of learning to be had that way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put an unsuccessful gig on, are you a promoter? Like you can't just have success. It's not popular enough. (laughs) (laughs) I think it,
0: it just comes with the job, and I mean, you get similar kind of experiences online when you for example run a blog or have a podcast and you realize well there might be like zero people reading it or zero people listening in or zero people watching your youtube video or whatever that is but you still need to keep carrying on because you need to have that failure and the build-ups to have the success
1: yeah so my second ever gig uh two people turned up to my second ever gig it was awful and i still remember the band today and i won't mention them or anything because I, I literally felt like they didn't like me for two or three years. <laughs> I, I didn't even ask them to play another gig. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get over that. But yeah, like um, some of the best gigs at Q have had minimal attendance. 17 people saw mm-hmm. Friendly Fires back in the day. The first time we put Blossoms on, there was 140, 150 people in the room. Yeah. And we we big that up, you know, we said, these are going to be the next big thing. I had four people in a room watching the band Yonica, and they are phenomenal. I was one of them. <laughs> Were you? Yes, I wrote oh. a blog
0: about that. That was my very, very first blog article on the music, I'm not going to say the word, yeah. <laughs> local music and Cuba for Side Cat. It was on them.
1: What a <laughs> success. And what a great <laughs> and loved, band. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And I
0: was just like, my point was, it didn't matter that the. Hmm. I was confused. Why weren't there many more people in the room? Because I'd knacked it. I just, uh, <laughs> Sorry, not making it well that? enough.
1: Um, but like I look gigs at that, and I remember yeah. those gigs because of how special they ER are and stuff. And you know, I share that with four mm-hmm. other people. One being yourself in this room. It, it's really weird to think about those as failures in that sense, because mm-hmm. at the same time, something special happened that night. You know, that band played at 110, and that still retains to like the quality of people that were in the room you know like if those four people all buy cds that band still gets supported more monetarily than what they would have if there was 100 people in the room and nobody bought cds you know mm-hmm. um things like that can happen uh, a funny story with Yonica though is when they turned up bands do this thing where they go does it get busy here mm-hmm. it's part of a club night mm-hmm. and i said no <laughs> And I thought it was funny and they laughed and it's always a thing I've done. It was sarcasm, you know, I'm a very sarcastic person in that sense. Yeah. And later on, it was quiet and it was it was definitely quiet, you know. And they didn't talk to me, like packing down and that. They weren't happy. And yeah. I was like, about a year later, we were, um I in mean, an hour about putting them on again because they, they blew up so big yeah. and that. And I was like, oh, we can't put them on anymore because I said this stupid thing to them. And if they come back somebody else have to just rep the gig and you just tell them that you sacked me afterwards or something yeah. i can't can't eat that humble pie it's, it's too big a pie <laughs> it's,
0: it's very ironic that you're bringing this up because i think like all of the points that you're making i kind of like explored that in the blog article mm. and that is one thing that happened from that night was i was just intrigued by the whole thing by the music going on about by people attending gigs not attending gigs what was the reason so that's that sparked my interest that night
1: i still haven't figured it <laughs> out <laughs>
0: Okay, so we've touched on some of the challenges uh, that you've experienced, and also while musicians face, maybe you can just mention one challenge that musicians themselves face, just putting out their music, promoting it, getting people to come to gigs.
1: Yeah, I I think there's a lot of noise at times, you know, you are are doing something, especially with emerging music, Mm -hmm. independent music. Which is grossly unpopular. In the weird way of thinking about how many people there are out there that would go and listen and entertain your music. Like really, really enjoy it and enjoy those moments that you get people in your messages saying, hey, I really like your music. Those comments, enjoy those moments, but also remember that like sort of, that's not part of the process. The process itself is creating music and creating value in that. You know, you, you, you put it out, you play gigs. Uh, and those are special times with your friends. If you're doing music with people, those bonds will last your whole life. Every single band I've been in, for the most part, I've got lifelong friends from uh, and really important people within my life. Mm-hmm. So if I could go back and tell myself at 17, like, hey, you're about to, you're about to make a lot of cool friends, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's, for me, it's like the journey through music. Nowadays, when I'm creating music with projects and that, I'm, I'm always... Focused on, right? If we're putting this out in five years' time, I want to be able to look back and go, that was a cool song we put out. We did our best with what we did at the time. Take everything with a pinch of salt almost. Everyone's given you advice and what you should and shouldn't do and whatnot. But just do what you can. You have a capacity as an artist or as a band and do the things that you want to do because those are the things you'll look back on and go, wow, I'm glad I really did the things that I wanted to do. I didn't listen to New Music Friday on a playlist and go, ooh, let's make our songs sound like this mm-hmm. because you'll never make something that you actually wanted to make in the first place. Make your music. It, You know, I've spent years making terrible music with people, especially when I was younger, and I've had some awful projects and stuff that I look back on and I go, do you know what? That was really fun, though, like, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed those bands. And if you're in a band that's chaotic, enjoy that as well because i was in some of the best Mm -hmm. moments of my life has been like turning up to gigs and you know you're you're part way through and you're like do you know what i'm gonna have another beer and we're gonna sleep in the car tonight and you're in buddy somewhere halifax i think i was in at that time when i thought that i thought you know what We're going to do this. We're going to have a night out in Halifax, Mm -hmm. just off the cuff, you know, and then the next day you're driving back and you've slept in a farmer's field, you know, like kind of thing. You're like, (laughs) There's some crazy stories on there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember, I can't, I don't even know when this happened, but it was just like I was on my way back from somewhere and I just stopped in, I think it was Hull, for some kind of festival and I just ended up sleeping on somebody's staircase until the next morning so I can get the train back. (laughs) It was uncomfortable, to say the least. Yeah, I've <laughs>
1: slept on a staircase as well, actually. We have that in common. In right. my own house, though. Um, okay. Yeah, It felt housing. weird.
0: I was, like, next to the shoes and everything. But, yeah. <laughs> it was just two hours until the train. All right. So, the one thing that does happen as music editor for the Tees is you encounter some of the frustrations, especially now, hmm. regarding the arts and culture scene. Sorry, this is just popping up the whole Ooh, time now. Scene. I'm just constantly <laughs> making scene. Shouldn't
1: have said it, <laughs> did I?
0: <laughs> With all the restrictions imposed on the ways that obviously artists can promote their work and the opportunities they currently have. Now if you can just use one example, can you elaborate on some of these frustrations and how have local musicians kind of reacted to the lockdown?
1: I think one of the frustrations I s for certain types of bands is their music doesn't come across the internet that well. You're talking about people who have generally, they are the live show. Like they have a live show that they've really created and worked on Mm -hmm. and the recording side of their project isn't as important to their music. You know, like they want people there and into it. And you can't do that when you're live, like online, live, Mm -hmm. live Mm -hmm. streaming. That's sad and it's really difficult for them to sort of work around in that. It's almost like a waiting game, you know? And what will that look like? You know, if that's your music and that's your, your vibe, Are people wanting to go run into each other and clash into each other in a sweaty venue anytime soon? Even if they open doors tomorrow, would they do it? There's a lot of questions and not many answers Mm -hmm. and that there can be worrisome. I don't really know how people can help with that though. I guess it's a waiting game. And if you can do, diversify um, what you're doing, do research, do the boring stuff, do all the admin stuff you've never bothered to do. Mm -hmm. You know, check up on your your music glue that connects to bbc introducing can I, you know have a look at your website do you want a website do you even have one mm-hmm. what's a bio site maybe you should have one of those yeah. instead those are cool those are new as well okay. you know should your band into over social media sites you mm-hmm. know tiktok's a growing thing for influencers and stuff it's not really applicable for to sales and whatnot like at the moment data wise but it is yeah it's a social media site that, you know, a lot of young people are on and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can you key into that audience? Can you, you know, what what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Use it or create, just create.
0: And I think maybe something to mention on that, new platforms with the live streaming of music and this I found watching events online Mm -hmm. Is, it's so easy to get distracted and just simply like say you're on Facebook you're watching a live and then you just start scrolling through you know whatever so that that kind of concentration is not necessarily there or the enjoyment that would come from maybe being in a venue but then you also have a platform well getting quite a lot of media at the moment Clubhouse which is an audio only platform so mm-hmm. that's something musicians could perhaps have a look at
1: yeah definitely and it, yeah. you've done this quite recently haven't you with your um, thingy overnight talk that you've just done that you've just told me about before this yeah podcast. that's that's where i, I was yeah. did like
0: a whole hour at like 2 a.m in the morning on clubhouse the, and reserved my username back then
1: i'm hoping if anybody's listening to this that you're doing housework at the same time that's my favorite thing or running with running itself uh, for me you're not allowed to listen to music it's mm-hmm. you don't do that because that regulates your pace and everything and mm-hmm. your heart rate can be quite dangerous so I listen to podcasts because of that aspect of taking the visual aspect away from something. Mm-hmm. It really makes me think. I, and I'm not a very clever person. I've always used uh, smaller words than most people, mm-hmm. and I use the words like "stuff" and "thing" to describe something. I probably love a the word. I love the
0: word "stuff."
1: <laughs> but I, I'm like, I was. I've always. Past book by saying it's accessible language yeah, yeah. and everyone can understand it, but really, I'm dumb. Like, you know, like, I haven't learned it, but podcasts make me feel cleverer though because I can learn words like ascertain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Scene three. <laughs> I'll try that again. Scene three.
0: The Ultra Runner.
2: Okay.
0: On the topic of running, what has happened, whether in arts and culture or in other sectors of the community, for example, education, the impact on people's lives is unchangeable. What is important now is how we approach the future. So this is just tying back into what we were talking Mm. about, some of the, the limitations with lockdown and musicians trying to get their work out there, especially ones who were reliant on live events and so forth. Given your background and also your involvement in BCTS fire, why are the arts firstly important to any community? And, and then more specifically, what is the future of music, according to you? What should musicians or actually all creatives be doing now?
1: It's a great question. The, the arts are everything. Like, everything that, like, whoever's listening to this right now, if you look down at your pants that you're mm-hmm. wearing, somebody designed those. Like, those are designers. Those come from an arts, your mobile phone your laptop even the sleek design you know the buttons and stuff it's mm. all been designed and you know there's that thing about you know like life without music would be pretty boring but I find music in particular can describe very complicated things in mm. like three notes you listen to three little like a little motif within classical music and um, terms but you Listen to something like that, and that there can have so much more meaning. I used to use the analogy of a cold cup of tea, I know there's one right there, yeah, but um,
0: don't
1: worry, I love cold tea, I just love teas. Yeah, tea's <laughs> great, cold, Ah hot, and then um, but like that feeling of knowing that you've poured cold kettle water into a cup mm-hmm. and it's going to the top. You, it's very difficult to, you know, describe. It's a few different emotions. It's sadness, but it's also disappointment in yourself. You're mm-hmm. also frustrated because you've just, you know, maybe you're like me and you're frugal. You've just, you've wasted money there, you know, yeah. like on that tea bag, But music can do that in just a few notes. Like, yeah. you know, you put music, watch video without music and it's a weird experience and music just totally changes it. Um, yeah. In that aspect. I think the future of music is... It, it can only go up, you know, (laughs) like from where we're at. We are missing the live music sector. And I think when that comes back, that'll be um, magical. I can't wait to see like, like people who I worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't wait to see people that regularly attended gigs or irregularly attended gigs before uh, COVID. You know, I was always like a hugger as well. And i had been able to do that for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I live on my own. So there's like, it's, part and parcel of my my existence is almost a very social one mm-hmm. and i've had to reevaluate how i get happiness daily and mine is actually going outside and saying hi to random people mm-hmm. i like i really mm-hmm. love the fact that if i go out under the moors, i'll say hi to strangers i'll come to my home area and i won't say hi to anyone as i walk past them apart from to like neighbors yeah. so i was like trying to develop in my psyche that kind of boundary of like strangers and friends and mm-hmm. being like well at some point, these random people at gigs, I start saying hi to because mm-hmm. they'll see me regularly enough um, yeah. and that'll work there. But I think music, music's going to be good. It's um, I have no worries about that at all in that sense. I think the whole industry itself has been looking back in on itself mm-hmm. and how it works. I do hope we develop that further. I think there's a certain aspect of music for me that I've always disliked and it's the accessibility of having to get a van with a drum kit on Mm -hmm. to go and tour the UK for £30, £50 a night. Like, it doesn't make sense that bands are worth that. And then they have to sell over things like merch and stuff to make up this value um, for their tour in order to break even. And these are, you know, most part, tour musicians, they are sometimes younger and whatnot. And it's like, that's not accessible at all. That also pertains to a certain... I couldn't do that. Like, I'm very lucky. I I didn't really go on the road until I was uh, much older. I learned to drive Mm -hmm. when I was 24, uh, after working for years and building up as of music and money and stuff so like there was never an opportunity for me in that sense but mm-hmm. i i hope venues you know have a standardized way of working i don't really like putting the pressure on the venues cuz they also don't have money yeah. but there needs to be a way that we all have a standardized setup or kit in every room uh, or in every venue i believe in japan they have music houses there and if you go and play so i know a couple of tribute bands who played over there mm-hmm. and they say it's it you just rent the gear for the night okay. and it's all really awesome gear and they said every venue is laid out very similarly and it works a charm they've said it's touring over there is really easy in which case why it kind of is it makes so sense. hard
0: yeah i never <laughs> thought of that it makes no. sense yeah okay so you'd you'd say that's maybe something that venues can develop
1: having like i think a, nobody's talking about and it. it's something i've always it's always yeah. bothered me it's i've never understood putting this really old kit into a van and then hoping it survives because yeah. if it breaks at any point on that tour
0: it's like taking your piano
1: everywhere yeah <laughs> as soon as you take it outside it's not going to work yeah. anymore is it as you're thinking same with drum kits drum kits you know they, they, they literally take a beating but they take a beating on mm. tours and stuff and it's not sustainable Thank and you. The whole van hire and everything—it's too too much, too much. Even driving a van itself is a pain. Okay. Like,
0: and then uh, one thing that all creative should be doing now, like if somebody's listening to this and they they've got some kind of creative drive or they make music, what what can they do?
1: Yeah, um, I, th- I guess it depends on where you are. Because if you if you're doing and you're feeling good about your creative practice right now, just keep doing. Like okay. you. But yeah, find things to enjoy, find Find a process and get into those processes if it's something you haven't done or something. I'm always trying to chase the uncomf- that, that uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. So if something makes me uncomfortable, it's like, right, I need to sit down and work this out. If it's something I, like I'm very much a nerd, I love to learn. People watch movies and TV. I watch tutorials on things. I like just sitting and watching tutorials mm-hmm. for things I can't do there's something about it i enjoy and for me more tools means more things i can also then use to help sort of amplify and help other people in that sense Mm -hmm. so yeah I, i i've always enjoyed that so if you can do that It's more common than ever I think we're realizing that we're all kind of creative Mm. we all enjoy taking photos with our phones when we're out and doing things we want that to look as good as possible so when we look back on our lives we have some nice pictures of our faces in the corner of landscapes (laughs) you know like yeah you know there's things like that yeah Yeah. like you know I scrapbook everything I'm a I, I own a camera I've had a camera for two or three years and I still pretend that it's in self-discovery with me realizing I really like people is as soon as mm-hmm. I picked up a camera the first thing I wanted to do is just shoot random people mm-hmm. like I'm really yeah. f- I'm fascinated by this the, didn't even just have things the cars we drive and everything mm-hmm. those mundane photos are like that you might think why are you doing that those are like what street photographers were taking 40 years ago you know that you look back on and you go I whoa think, yeah, exactly. like that's just a person <laughs> walking past and it's like that's that you won't realize the value until it's mm. in the future and I do the same with my daughter my daughter's two going on three in May I I take loads of pictures of her and mm. I'm unashamed of that Um I really want to look back on her life Um so I'm co-parenting my daughter so I don't see her as much as probably other parents see their own kids mm. just a fact of life isn't yeah. it but uh, I'm happy with that and I process that but when I do see her I'm like right cool let's take some pictures mm. and then I'm like How do I take a picture of myself with her with this camera? So I'll buy a tripod and then, you know, I'll be like, oh, I want these photos now to look a little bit better, you know, (laughs) having other creatives around you that push you. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like that on social media. I know there's creatives that can't see other creatives work and not get envy or not get sad that theirs isn't as good. Yeah. I don't feel that. I see everybody as a challenge and almost like, hey, oh, that works amazing. And I go, do you know what? I'm going to go out and try and recreate that. Oh, how do they do it? Mm-hmm. There's a great thing with photography where you can just use a dropper on somebody's photo and find the colours. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah.
0: I know that dropper.
1: You, you get that Instagram <laughs> yeah. open and you can have a look at people's colours on things yeah. and you can go, oh, I've... I'll try and using right. these colours, and obviously you don't want to imitate 100%, yeah. especially if it's friends, because yeah. <laughs> you know there's a boundary issue yeah. there at some level. But there's definitely some kind of inspiration you can take from everything and everyone around you. It can be quite overwhelming, yes. so finding a process that you enjoy and getting into it. Don't be bothered about any results, because I'm not. I still put on loads of poo gigs that people go and <laughs> so like, you know, could they be yeah. better? Probably, yeah. Same with my photos and my film making. It could be loads better, but at some point, you've just got to go, this process isn't developing as much. I need to do mm-hmm. something else. So now what's this process going to look like once you've analyzed it?
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think everything will just be like, I'm, I actually did a post about this this week where I thought if we could just get everything like that, like mm-hmm. perfectly first time round, life would be so boring. <laughs> and that's it. It's that process, not having it perfect and then working at it, working at it, working at it. Because that's what improvement is. is you can
1: you can only perfection? learn certain things by doing. Yeah. And it, there's a, a level to that with all creativity. M- music's very physical mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. Like if you can't play your instrument, you can't make that music. But you can sit on a computer and you can learn so much music. But unless you actually sit with your instrument at some point, yeah. you're not going to be able to... Gel it together mm-hmm. and that, that's not gonna sound great, you know. You're not gonna be able to pick it up an instrument and it sounds great, you can have all the knowledge in the world. So yeah, th- that's very visible with an instrument because the creative creative process is very physically defined, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't think that with uh photography, with film making, which I enjoy as well. Yeah. Like if I if I don't go out and shoot photos, what can I do at yeah. home?
0: Yeah, it does take some effort, but it's worth doing. Hmm. So Strangely enough, I mentioned running at the start and then we talked about all sorts of creative stuff. Nothing to do with running. (laughs) (laughs) Coming back. Is this coming back to running? I'm not sure. Anyway, I think it's somewhere in there. (laughs) Thinking of the future first. (laughs) Paul Bergen, the founder of BCT Aspire, has been your mentor over the years. So this has been someone Hmm. who's really given you opportunities and guided you along the way in your journey with music and perhaps also just in general. As well as giving you the opportunity to teach bass, for example, at BCT Aspire, you have also mutually supported each other in ultra trail running. So there we have it running. Yay. In part to raise funds for the charity. Now, just on the topic of mentor, how has having a mentor as Paul changed your life? And then do you think if mentors have a positive impact, like Paul has had on your life, hmm. how do we find one? Or is this something that happens organically? You can't go, I'm going to go looking for a mentor. Would you like to be my mentor? Is <laughs> <it> like...
1: <laughs> I just shout out the window, wherever you are. Is uh, it like a mental
0: <laughs> version of, I don't know, we've got this, this yeah. podcast matching sites or like dating sites or like find a mental site.
1: Yeah, I mean, that might be the future, you know. Like, I I definitely think any kind of positive influence on your life needs to be cherished, in which case Paul started off, I think we played a gig for the charity itself. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I wanted to go into teaching. I I didn't want to go the education process. I didn't want to formality. it. I just wanted to do it and see if I liked it. Mm -hmm. So I started teaching at the charity. I would get on a bus. The bus would take an hour and a half to get to Billingham from where I live. Teach for an hour, and I would get back on that bus for an hour Mm -hmm. and a half. Back then, you didn't have a technology to sit and use. Uh, mm. While you're on the bus, you had to read a book <laughs> or you had to sleep, and I chose the latter a lot of the times. And that was a great period of my life because, like, I was I was putting so much time into just even the bus journey that the actual result of what I was doing was, you know, I knew it was going to be good because I, I was dedicated. Um, but meeting Paul was there very influenced. Uh, everything I would pertain all the ultra is down to him he's always had a knack to asking me to do things and i don't say no uh, to him mm-hmm. and he always asked me to do things that make me uncomfortable and that's when a lot of my learning is well, is learned it really like dawned on me when he asked me to do the charity we're doing uh, the town dance with uh, the dance mm-hmm. group diversity yeah and he asked me if I would go on with the kids and um, because I needed somebody from the charity to also be with them because he, he said to me, because they're unconfident and they're a bit shy, you should go with them. Mm. And when I turned up, one of the kids turned up and that was it. And it was just me and this other kid. And he didn't get through the first bit and there was just me. And then this person comes up from TV and be like, hey, so why are you doing this? And I was like... <laughs> Honestly, my, my actual reason isn't here anymore, yeah. you know, but I, I I did that and that was super uncomfortable. I don't, mm. I'm not a dancer. What mm. on earth am I doing dancing on this TV show? This is <laughs> like, this is crazy. But I made, again, loads of great friends and that. Uh, and then it was many years later, he, Paul started ultra running and just trail running itself. You know, I see the Moors as like a big playground and it's to be enjoyed and if you want to go from two locations, like Roseby Toppin, it's really nice. Captain Cook's Monument's mm-hmm. really nice up there. And quite far apart. If you want to do that as a walk, it's probably, you know, like an hour to get to and from.
2: Yeah.
1: But if you want to do it as a run, it's loads quicker. You get there <laughs> in 20 minutes. So yeah. Paul's really wise. He's got loads of quotes out the air that I really like. Uh, onwards and upwards. The pace is the pace. Mm-hmm. And things like that. And we've had... You know, I've got a, I've got a, like a lifelong friend in him, mm-hmm. but he's also been a mentor in my life for so many years. There's nothing I can't talk to him about that I haven't already. Mm-hmm. So everything bad in my life, he knows about, and I might have spoke to him about that at one in morning when we're doing. You know, he's done one hundred and sixty miles in one go. So we've we've chatted throughout that, and you know, we've had very intimate talks because once you're doing something like that you can't be anything else than honest the longest ultra i've done on my own is a 55 miler and it was from helmsley to Mm gisborough and it felt like i was running home because i'm not too far away from gisborough where i live it was the cleveland way which is an amazing route everybody should enjoy but like that thing again if i see a random person who's also doing that same run as me Mm -hmm. we're 30 miles into something and we're you know we're not going fast at that point it's you know your body's starting to tire but somebody will come past you or you'll go past them and you'll be like are hey, you all right and sometimes you'll hear a, no not really and then they'll just pour their heart out to you mm-hmm. and you'll be like oh that's so like i'm gonna tell you some stuff as well mm-hmm. you know and it's um one of my darkest points in my life was literally like 52 miles into a 55 miler like you know mm-hmm. that was like the worst i've ever felt I told Paul who's done a lot longer runs than me that he didn't know how I felt at that time and he looked at me and he went right you're on your own then and he ran the last three miles to finish the race and I had to do the last three miles on my own and in them moments and time and that I hated paul Bergham. <laughs> like you know i really didn't i disliked him a lot mm. but it wasn't until like i got to the end i was lost in gisborough forest that's why i was annoyed <laughs> i was so close to the end and i was I've like been lost that yeah i can't it's nighttime i need to get to the end i need to finish i'm you know i'm yeah. my body's never felt like this before i'm you know and i i need I, you know i felt like i was dying i need to get the finish yeah. otherwise i'm not going to survive and I found out later why and stuff. I'd burnt the inside my mouth with a hot cup of tea. <laughs> because I couldn't feel anything. All my mouth was blistered. Mm-hmm. So all the food wouldn't go down. It was getting stuck in my mouth. Okay. So I wasn't eating. Yeah. So I couldn't eat. So I was trying to yeah. survive. Yeah. So I was, I was actually feeling something that most people couldn't feel yeah. at that time. But uh, finishing, obviously, like, um, I was 100 yards away from the finish. And I saw him and he was like, yeah, you're right. Are you out of your mood? And I was like, yeah, I'm out my mood. <laughs> and he was like, do you want to hold my hand then? And I was like, yeah, I'll hold your hand. And you know, we, we held hands and crossed the finish line and stuff. And like just that itself, there was no videos, no photos, mm-hmm. but like that, that memory of that experience, even though it was overtly very negative, mm-hmm. um, it created these bonds with Paul, you know, unfathomable. He knew what I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. I needed to be alone and I needed to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, It's, it's, you know, it's probably not going to be the darkest time ever in my life, but it was a good yardstick to think how terrible (laughs) things could get and how I felt and stuff. But I use that energy now to sort of put everything in. So I don't really feel, I don't see days as, you know, time like anybody else would try and think of it. I don't think of, oh, I've got a busy day tomorrow, better chill out a day. I'm like, no, I can, I've got a lot in me, like mentally and physically that I have not even tapped into yet, in which case until i burn to a crisp you know like i'll just keep going in that sense would
0: you say that's the impact that ultra running has had on your life like in every day
1: for sure yeah and just it's it's weird for me to think i can go out for a run and Mm -hmm. i'm running for enjoyment i'm not running to do any kind of distance Mm -hmm. the fact that i'm going from a to b is just it's almost like that it's the procedure i'm enjoying i'm enjoying listening to my podcasts and having a run round and you get better at it and whatnot i don't think i'm not a runner i'm i call myself every man i'm a very average person i'm six foot brown-haired you know (laughs) blue eyed i'm I'm very average i I, i'm not anything but like going out and doing these runs i always think um of the drone footage where people on hills and that and you see those little specks I think of myself like that and I go, ah, oh, do you know what? I bet this looks really cool if I was like, <laughs> you know, some some being in the sky or, you know, like some birds flying over going, whoa, he's cool. Or a drone. Yeah, or a, <laughs> an, an actual drone. If anybody wants a drone footage of me, like, I'd love uh, some of that footage. But yeah, that, that's, it's great. And on the topic of obviously gaining a mentor mm-hmm. in that sense... I really feel like we are all mentors of somebody. You probably don't realize mm-hmm. it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody's probably looking up to you right now. And when they have conversations with you, like when you're listening to them speak, just try and think more like, what are they telling me? And what does this person need? Because Paul will always call me out on things that he thinks is wrong. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing something in my life and or saying something about somebody to somebody... Uh, something he might say to me do you not think that you're in the wrong here mm-hmm. and he'll explain this other person's perspective and it's an eye-opening experience and it's not very nice again it's not you know you might have friends that support you and everything that you do but you do need friends to call you out on stuff because that for me that's the contrast in photography terms and stuff in art yeah. terms but it's it's everything that shapes us and if people are just positive in your life and just bigging you up it's like, no, you want people to hold you to account. And, you know, I feel like I'm a very confident person because of that now. And I know who I am and who I'm, you know, being. It helps me with work. It helps me when I'm doing running. It helps me if I want to do things. You know, I go in there with this mentality of like, right, okay, cool. What are we going to get done? Like, you know, I'm, I would love talking about things, but what are we going to get done? Like, yeah. Well, that's such a,
0: a brilliant mindset to have. And I, I think that's a, that's a good point to just kind of wrap things up mm. and then just one last question before we go into the quickfire ones yeah so yes having the, a mentor isn't necessarily about having like this, this super positive buddy who's just like behind you all the way but it's actually having someone who can distinguish what's what you're doing well and but what you could be doing better mm. and maybe suggesting ways to be doing that or simply leaving you to figure it out by yourself, like in your case. Given everything that we've discussed and all your various interests um, and all the good work that you obviously do and just that desire that you have of kind of like being the little speck on the, the mountain but still like contributing, what do you foresee for yourself in the future?
1: I'm really enjoying myself Mm -hmm. like it's it's been nice to discover over the last uh, almost 12 months uh, how much I've learned more about me and I think that's became because I've had time to think and do so yeah I I have no idea what's going to happen with work Mm -hmm. within my life and that is the big uncertainty that makes me uncomfortable and so I'm currently figuring that out I don't know if I going to be a promoter in six Mm -hmm. months time I don't know if I'm going to be promoting 12 months time I still enjoy doing it and I enjoy the process of it in which case I don't think I'll ever stop doing in regards to that but if it was work or not it doesn't necessarily have to be I've developed a lot of different skills in my creative like development practice within the sort of last nine to ten years of being a promoter that I think would be an asset to different kinds of companies and mediums and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really happy. I want to be a good parent to my daughter. And yeah, I've got a I've got another fifty-five miler in December, um, called the Cheviot Goat. It's wouldn't to be it's a really tough ultra. I didn't know that going into it. I watched the promo video and was like, <laughs> I like the promo video. I'm saying yes yeah. to this, but that was a that's a Paul Bergham factor again. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to more learning about myself in that sense because there's probably a reason why he's asking me to do that mm-hmm. maybe he just wants a friend to keep warm but uh <laughs> <I think so>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh that, that's gonna be tough that's gonna be really hard i didn't know how hard it was gonna be until i went to a local running store and it's ran by a really great runner mm-hmm. and when buying my kit for that over christmas i she asked me what ultra i was doing i told her mm-hmm. and she went Ooh, <laughs> and that was when I went, oh no, yeah. <laughs> oh, this person's done Ooh. the spine race, you know, like, and she thinks, this is difficult, yeah. oh.
0: <laughs> it's another a Forest moment waiting for you, just that. Oh,
1: yeah, but this time in snow, I think.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's up in the hills in Northumbria <laughs> Park, so.
0: Uh, well... This has really been amazing. I mean, I've got tons more questions. I think we can just be chatting about music and all sorts the whole time. I mean, I'm also interested in running and I love them worse, So there's so much more to discuss. But we are going to go into our quick fire questions. So first of all, just thank you for joining me today, Simon.
1: Uh, thank you very much. I think uh, this podcast is great, by the way. I've listened to oh. other episodes and I'm like, ah, do you know what? I'm doing the Yonica thing. I'm listening to the ones that I probably don't think would because i've listened to my friends who have been on this and yeah. that's dead easy to do because yeah. i'm interested in them but i've started to listen to some of the other ones that you've got mm-hmm. on and i don't know the names i've told i'm just clicking play on things oh, and okay. i'm like let's learn about these other people who are on because yeah. there's obviously a reason you've yeah. chose them to be on it as well so i think it's really interesting
2: oh well,
0: that's awesome thank you so what recent film uh series you watched or podcast you did you listen to? let's go with a podcast so few people talk about the yeah what, what's the recent podcast you
1: listen to i listen to podcasts at the moment called the contact sheet oh it's a photography based podcast i think it's a person called kyle douglas who mm-hmm. hosts it i don't know this kyle douglas from adam i don't know his work i should i'm i have plans to look at his work mm-hmm. but he had um, a photographer on i really like called sean tucker i knew mm-hmm. sean tucker from his youtube channel and whatnot Mm -hmm. He's a street photographer in london but he talks more about the process doesn't really talk about photography as you know like exposure aperture and stuff Mm -hmm. he talks more about the people and why and you know the Mm -hmm. cathartic sort of process of creativity and i really enjoy that and this podcast just accentuates that to 10 i feel like i can talk to other creatives and i get a buzz that i want to do creative creative things i get that this podcast does the same thing i can listen to it and i want to go home and create and i'm just listening to other people's creative journeys and it has very little to do with photography Mm -hmm. other than these creatives have a camera in the hand and it's more about what's going on in their head and I, i love that
0: yeah It's really amazing how just by listening to someone talk about the work they do, not necessarily the technical parts of it, Mm. just makes you go, hmm, maybe I'll try that. Or maybe I should think about that.
1: I'm really (laughs) into people who are into things. Yeah. And it's a really simple (laughs) thing. But if you're into something, I want to listen to you talk about that. And I think that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. It was like this one podcast I listened to. The guy was just talking about how all he did was on Instagram stories, he created a beat like... Every day. Mm. That's all he did. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> just create a, a unique beat every single day. Yeah. But anyway. Oh, and he matched that with like a little video. So that, that was a, a, the creative aspect. Of, well, additional creative. No,
1: aspect. you don't have to justify <laughs> it. You just do it. <laughs> I <laughs> was just thinking, yeah. that,
0: that maybe sounds so boring now. <laughs> okay. What important truth do very few people agree with you on?
1: I did have to think about this. You sent the questions over earlier. So it's not something I'm profoundly... Okay. I'm not used to just being able to, hear the truth, you know, like... <laughs> I'm very big on social media and how people have relationships with social media. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in creating your own worlds in it and mm-hmm. your own content. Um, unfollow your friends. Like, you don't need... You know, like, certain friends, if they make you feel sad online, ah, I don't have a problem, clicking an unfriend and stuff. Or mm-hmm. same on Twitter. If I don't engage with these people, why am I following them? So, my important truth is that you don't need a social detox... You just need to evaluate and process your your social interactivity with your phone. Yeah. Because it's there to stay for the rest of your life. So in which case, do you need notifications on for likes? Do you need notifications on yeah. for comments? Why? If you check your phone maybe once a day and just check the comments on things, you're not really missing anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, it's kind of just that. And I know mm-hmm. people who have likes on their phone. It flashes up whenever they get a like on something. And I'm mm-hmm. like it's i mean it in marketing terms it's a vanity metric mm-hmm. and it doesn't really pertain to anything no, same with positive sure. and negative comments like the everything needs to be taken with a pinch of salt because that positive comment and that negative comment equally in weight like mm-hmm. there's no there's nothing yeah. to them really like mm. It's still nice to get nice comments, by the way. Obviously, <laughs> if it's your peers and stuff, but you know, I'm talking about more like people you might not engage with daily, weekly, monthly. You know, these people might never see in real life. In which case, you know, it's great that you can have these interactions online. But um, unless it pertains to sort of development and stuff, I'm very like I'm very hardlined in that. That's why yeah. I don't think it's I don't think many people will agree with yeah. me on the detox thing. But uh, I'm still like i'm the same with diet and everything i'm doing like just work out your eating habits don't yeah, don't yeah. crash don't like do yeah. things that change too much so i don't it's
0: basically think... don't don't do something drastic just go with it but moderate what you're doing
1: yeah i don't okay. think our brains like big changes mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. which case i would say why putting our brains under that stress just yeah. try and change it gradually try and mm-hmm. in which case if you're thinking like what's why am I on this website? It doesn't make me happy. Delete mm-hmm. yourself off that website then. Like, it's fine. Don't use that website maybe. Um, I also have a rule when I go online in that I don't just like something. I always comment. So it's, it's less oh, about right. liking mm-hmm. stuff. It's more about how am I engaging with these people. Because yeah. it's very easy to be like, hey, I like this person's song or what they're doing and never tell them that. Yeah. And it's like, I know I've just said there that you shouldn't weigh up my positive comment, <laughs> but I don't think you shouldn't. The creative process, I definitely think your result... And your process matters a lot more than what other people think about it. Yeah. Because if you work in stuff that you like, just do that. And if yeah. professionals tell you it's great, that's worth more than gold anyway. And yeah. there's only a select amount of people that will do that.
0: Yeah. No, and that's all of that very, very valuable insights there. And especially just thinking about the, the what you said about comments. That's something I've discovered. Like, I actually value commenting mm. more than liking and vice versa for the person receiving the comment it is almost like more of a oh, okay well they, they've actually looked at this like yeah there, there's that engagement part of that so that's really great and then we're just going to do two more mm-hmm. if you could maybe highlight the biggest challenge you've overcome
1: having a daughter that was a big thing because i didn't have it under the same circumstances that other people had it I, I had it with a an ex-partner who you know after breaking up discovered uh she was pregnant and um, that was a really difficult thing to process because it wasn't it wasn't the nicest mm-hmm. experience between us both and whatnot and you know both have a lovely daughter called Alice now and um, she's great and stuff and a lot of that is still in works and whatnot but biggest challenge for me was literally having essentially my own little mentor you know mm-hmm. like my daughter and you know is she gonna grow up like me is in personality wise and you know all my maybe like hang-ups and stuff she's gonna get them in which case you know it's a lot of pressure so it's like I was trying to re- you know the self-discovery thing I was trying mm-hmm. to fast forward that as fast as I could let's get to I'm mm-hmm. 50 and I'm wise as you know like yeah, yeah. and I'm not there I, I'm not I'm not too bothered about that but like now but um that was a big challenge in my more more mentally than anything else
0: okay and then just to finish everything up What advice would you give to someone wishing to be a live music promoter or events manager? And with that, where can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you do?
1: If you want to be an events manager, just have a look in the mirror. See if you've got crow's feet and then decide if you want crow's feet because you will get crow's feet (laughs) being a (laughs) promoter. I think it's a very rewarding job when it goes well and it's a very very personal job when it goes wrong and there's a lot of things that you have to learn just by doing but having conversations with people like myself what you want to do figure that out what type of promoter you want to be what type of events you want to put on mm-hmm. um, what spaces are available and stuff I think they're all really easy questions to ascertain and then you build your value from that you say how am I going to do this is the funding? Is the am I going to, have to put my own money into it? Mm-hmm. Will somebody else pay me to do this? Question mark. Is there apprenticeships uh, in the local area from companies like um, tracks, ten tall and stuff mm-hmm. who may have projects where they can have you on as part of like a funding bid? Will you have to volunteer time to mm-hmm. do some voluntary work for Tees Music Alliance? And yeah, yeah if we're talking specifically Teeside and Tees yeah. Valley, and um, those are good things to sort of look into. We're all really friendly. We all want other people putting on gigs Mm -hmm. and events because the more people doing, the more popular it has to be Mm -hmm. because it can't stay underground forever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like the way I see it is a lot of the industry um, was thriving before COVID. It was getting to a point where it was starting to really sort of build up a buzz but at the same time, everywhere else in the locations of these venues were declining, mm-hmm. apart from food places because they yeah. survived from the culture. Um, So high streets and, high streets and stuff. And yeah. I imagine a future where there's a cultural hub and around it there's, like, advertising yeah. and stuff for online yeah. places and shops yeah. and eateries and other cultural hubs mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. I, I imagine that as the future and green spaces. I don't mm-hmm. imagine a future where we're still going in the next and buying a T-shirt, yeah. like... It, I can't fathom it. I can't, you know, I think this has been exasperated by COVID mm-hmm. but I still think um, that process is on its way and in which yeah. case I'd rather, I think I think we're in the good place for it so we need we do need more people putting on gigs because there can never be too many. Do, do different as well but yeah, if you want to find me, I'm online. I'm uh, at Simon Shaw Bass all mm-hmm. one word or Simon Shaw Bass if you yeah. want to be any company that I've ever rang in my life. <laughs> because uh, it's also my email Um yeah. feel free to dm me feel free to at me feel free to tag me in a status on facebook mm-hmm. like yeah i'm an open book when it comes to contacting me online i don't it doesn't bog me down if people message me as long as your intentions are pure obviously and you, you want to actually mm-hmm. do it i'm dead happy to talk and we'll figure it out mm-hmm. yeah
0: brilliant thanks so, for having me yeah this has been really really good Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please consider following our podcast. And more than anything, just come and say hello on Insta at regeneration.studio or navi over to our website, regenerationstudio.co.uk, where you can find all of our links and get in touch easily. Any ratings and reviews are much appreciated. It helps more people find the show and helps us share these amazing stories of difficult roads and beautiful destinations. Stories that could make a small difference in someone else's life. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.